the last of our uh, series on upward and onward, and hopefully you have felt encouraged and, uh, and challenged to move upward and onward with God. I know our church, uh, through this pastoral transition, is focused on moving upward and onward, and uh, I know that uh, hopefully you are too. Uh, I, uh, if you've been around Pastor Glenn much, uh, he's a great leader and excited about, uh, I've been excited about working with him and working with him. Um, and if you go to our staff meetings every week, we kind of have this little kind of holy huddle. And we talk about church stuff, and at the end we kind of put all our hands in and say, upward and onward. I mean, that's kind of our, our motto moving forward. And that's a great uh, way to, to focus on ministry, focus on what God's doing. Hopefully you felt that too. Uh, I think to kind of wrap up this series, I think I'm very qualified uh, to, to do this because we talk about upward and onward. I just got back where I covered about 13,000 miles on a trip to the Middle East and back, and I survived. So, hey, if you're going to talk about upward and onward, it's me, because I was upward and onward. I actually went to the to the, the, the Dead Sea, which is the lowest place on Earth, so I guess I can talk about downward or downward or inward or upward, I don't know, something like that. But I got all the words covered. We'll have lots of words today, and I'm sure it'll be great as we kind of talk through that. Let me just say, uh, in my, my trip to the Middle East, as we continue to uh, encourage our partner there who does refugee work, uh, it was a great trip. Thank you so much if you uh, prayed for me, if you uh, supported me, if you encouraged me in any way. I just want to say thank you very, very much. If you follow me on Facebook, you might think that all I did was eat. <laughs> And that's true. I ate a lot. Uh, no fast on this mission trip. Uh, but the reason a lot of those is when I travel to this country in the Middle East, I have to be a tourist. And I cannot be uh, uh, any kind of religious uh, group backing. I'm just a tourist. So I have to post on social media tourist pictures. So that's why. Sorry. Pictures. But God really is doing some great things, and we're able to encourage our pastor there who is reaching out and rescuing people from the fire and doing amazing, amazing work. Uh, please continue to pray for him and support him, and we hope we'll have some time uh, maybe in the next couple of weeks to share a little more stories uh, specifically about what God is doing. But thank you very much for, for supporting me on that great trip. It was a wonderful trip. Uh, we're talking about up, uh, upward and onward, and this has been a great opportunity for us. I think uh, we know that God has got great things in store for us, and he's constantly moving us upward and onward. He's got a purpose for our life. He's got a plan for our life. And a plan always includes moving us beyond where we are right now. Moving us upward and onward. And so we talk about things, about how we would do that, ways to improve ourselves, ways to get ready for when he would want to move us or when the opportunity comes. Today I want to talk about something completely different. And I want to be really honest with you and real with you today because if we think about moving it upward and onward, there's one thing we do need to focus on. And this is going to be talking about moving upward and onward beyond disappointment. We've all faced disappointment. We've all faced something in our lives not working out the way we want it to. And because of that, I believe it kind of it kind of stops us from moving upward and onward. Something bad happens, life happens, things don't work out the way we want it to, and it leaves us with more questions than it does passion to move upward and onward. We find ourselves shaking our head, or worse than that, doubting, hurting, Maybe even very uh, depressed and, and anxious. 
So what I want to talk about and be real with you today is to know that if you really want to move upward and onward to everything that God has planned for you, you're going to have to work through your disappointment and disillusionment. Here's the way that I put it. As we move upward and onward with Jesus, we must confront our disappointment and disillusionment. We can't just ignore that it never happened. We just can't push it aside. We have to confront it. Because, this is where I want to be honest with you, sometimes Jesus doesn't come when we need him most. Sometimes you think, man, I'm at my end of my road. There's nothing more that I can do. I need Jesus here. And for whatever reason, he doesn't show up. Now, I know that there's some truth that Jesus is always with us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. And I believe wholeheartedly in that. But I've also endured times, and I've talked to some of you, and some of you might even be enjoying this now, where you feel alone. You feel left out. You feel like I'm going through the worst of it. Where are you, Jesus? Sometimes Jesus doesn't come when we need him most. Sometimes God makes us wait, and waiting is often harder than the struggle. Amen? The, the word in Greek for waiting is called macro thumios. That's a fun word to say. Uh, macro means long, and thumios means suffering. So if you're waiting and it doesn't hurt, then you're not really waiting. And that's so true. Sometimes we feel like we want to accomplish something, we want to do something, but we feel like we're caught in this holding pattern. As we were flying from Amman, Jordan, to, to our layover in London, we got to the city of London, we're just about to start our descent, and the, and the pilot gets on the, the uh, intercom and says, uh, sorry, we're going to have to uh, make a loop around our, our gates now. Right? And we looped around this holding pattern three times over London. Let me tell you, London looks a lot better from the ground than it does from the sky. And all we wanted to do was land. And some of you feel like that. Some of you feel like you're caught in this holding pattern. That you know what God wants for you. You know where you want to go in life. But you feel like you just can't get there. You're just waiting. Waiting and waiting is often harder than the struggle itself. Sometimes, things don't work out the way we think they should. We all have a plan for how we want our life to go. We have all a plan of how we want things to work out. And when it doesn't, we get disappointed. We get disillusioned. In fact, what usually happens is what I call a functional atheism. A functional atheism. We, we believe in Jesus. We come to church. We pray. We read our Bibles. Maybe we even serve in the church. Maybe even we work through the version reading plans. And we read all the scripture and do all these Christian things. But when it comes down to it, we don't really believe that God is who he is because we feel he let us down. And next time we seek him, we would rather say, hey, God, I got this one. I got this one. You let me down last time. You didn't show up the way I wanted to. You made me wait longer than I wanted to. It wasn't what I wanted at the end. So therefore, I got this one, God. And let me tell you, I am not qualified to make the best things in my life. When I've tried to work my own life and my own plans, I have not been able to reach the success that I wanted. I know people say that God is my co-pilot. Let me tell you, if God's in the co-pilot seat and not driving the plane, I'm probably going to crash it. 
God needs to drive and, and lead my life. When I'm in charge, I screw things up and make things worse. So we operate in the church in what is called this functional atheism. We, we, we do all the Christian things, but we really don't believe God. We don't really trust God. We don't really know that, yes, he has a plan for my life. He's going to work me through the discouragement and the disillusionment that I'm facing. Now listen, guys, I know this is real. But I don't know how to talk honestly about moving upward and onward unless we face this fact that sometimes things don't work out the way we want it to work out. And we can't just put these rose-colored glasses on and say, go get up with God. It's all you need is Jesus and me and we can conquer the world because sometimes things happen. And without facing that, without coming real with that, you're never going to be able to really achieve what God has for you, moving upward and onward. Now in my life, when I face questions, when I face uh, truths in my life that, that are hard to face, I, I tend to go to Scripture. And not just to Scripture, but I tend to go to the life of Jesus. Because I believe that Jesus worked through many problems with the people that he interacted with. Things that I know that I suffer with on a regular, on a regular basis. And this is particularly one that I think we can kind of work through today with the story of John chapter 11. Now it's a story of Lazarus. Who, who here has ever heard the story of Lazarus? If you've never heard it, Lazarus was a friend of Jesus and, and he died. And for those that know the story, what does Jesus do with his dead friend Lazarus? He raises him from the dead. You guys can preach this sermon. You guys got it. Let me tell you though, this story isn't just about Jesus raising his friend from the dead. There's something more happening here. So I invite you in as we read this story to lean in and listen to how God might want to communicate to us today. Because I believe he's saying something profound and it's not just like, hey, you're sick and I'll heal you and raise you from the dead and you die. more. That. I believe it is facing this disillusionment and discouragement that we face when sometimes God lets us down. So let's read this. This is what it is. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, before we start this, um, I just want to take a, a moment of pastoral privilege, if I can. Um, uh, at the end of John chapter 10, Jesus has taken his disciples and they've gone to a place called Bethany beyond the Jordan which is exactly what it is. It's a town called Bethany, but it's on the other side of the Jordan River, okay, in modern-day Jordan. Now, Bethany, where, where Lazarus and his two sisters, that we'll get to in a moment, live, they live in a town called Bethany. It's a little confusing, but he is at Bethany beyond the Jordan. And the cool part about Bethany beyond the Jordan, at least for me, is a week ago I was standing right there at Bethany beyond the Jordan, reading this, preparing for this message, and let me tell you, that was pretty cool to experience. So this is what the story says. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus was now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, 
so that the Son, God's Son, may be glorified through it. Let me tell you, stop right there, okay? If you're facing the discouragement and disillusionment, maybe it's something years ago that you haven't quite dealt with, or maybe you're, you're kind of just functioning through this functional atheism in church for a while, or maybe this is something that you're facing right here, right now. You're living it. Let me tell you, this part right here, no, it is for God's glory that God's Son may be glorified through it. What Jesus is saying there is God's got a plan. God's got a purpose. And you may not see it, it may not unfold. To be honest with you, you may not see it to years after you've already worked through it. But hear this today. If you don't hear anything else, God's got a plan. God's got purpose. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Let's go from Bethany beyond the Jordan to uh, the area of Judea where, uh, where they are. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. You see what happened here? He's been sick, and now he's dead. He's been in the tomb for four days. Now, this bothers uh, the sisters. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, so other Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them, and the loss of their brother was, as was the custom. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. And then Martha gets real with Jesus. She says, Lord, said, Jesus, if you've been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, and even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who's come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews had been, the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn her brother there. When Jesus reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, he fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you've been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? Yes. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. Now I stopped the story here. Spoiler alert, if you've never read the story, Lazarus gets raised from the dead. Sorry. You don't have to spoil the story for you, but you can go read it. But I want to tell you, that's not what we want to talk about today. The story isn't about Lazarus being raised from the dead, but even though that's awesome and wonderful, the story, I believe, is Jesus is, is confronting head-on the 
discouragement and the disillusionment and the questions and, and the, the ideas that Mary and Martha are struggling with. Things that I believe we struggle with when God doesn't do what we want Him to do. Let's enter into this. Let's learn a little bit about how they interacted, but more importantly, how Jesus encouraged them through this. This is the next point. When we confront our disappointment and disillusionment, Jesus says, and this is to Martha, I am more than an answer to your prayers. And I find it very interesting. You've got these two uh, sisters, and they're completely different people. I think Martha is probably the firstborn. And if you notice, what does she do? When she finds out Jesus is coming, maybe she learns a little bit. She gets word gets that he's on top of the hill. She busters up all the courage she can. She goes right up to him with all the gusto, and she's going to meet him head on. She's going to give him a piece of her mind. You know a woman, a woman like that? She's going full out at it. And what does she do? She finds him, and what does she say? Where have you been? Come on. I thought you loved us. Let him die. You could have come at any time and healed him. You could have come any time and maybe just saw him and visited him before he died. But where have you been? Bethany beyond the Jordan. Where are you? Jesus' response is very interesting. He says, your brother will end in death. Well, your brother will rise again. And I love her response. Her response is kind of like, yeah, yeah, I know. It's what you've been teaching all along. This whole end of life thing, heaven thing, rising from the dead thing. Yeah, I know it. End of the days thing. He's going to rise again. Blah, 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 blah. I know. And Jesus looks at her. Changes this paradigm. Her thoughts are all focused on, here is what I want. God, answer my prayers. Why didn't you answer my prayers? And instead of talking about the unanswered prayer, Jesus looks at her and says this, I am the resurrection of life. I am so much more than just answering your prayers. I'm not a genie in a bottle that you just got to rub the bottle like get three wishes and get what you want. I am life. I am the fullness of life. I am the resurrection of life. I am much more than anything I can do to answer your prayers. I am here with you now. Now something happens in this moment. And, and I think Martha gets it. Because do you notice what Jesus does? And this confronts this functional atheism that I talked about earlier. He looks right at her and what does he say to her? After he says, I am the resurrection and the life, he looks right at her and says, do you believe this? Do you honestly believe this? Do you trust me? Do you understand that I've got a bigger plan going on here, bigger than what you are doing? I've got something more happening here. I see the whole picture. You see a little part. All you see is the answer to your prayers. I've got more planned. It's amazing. This is, this is how I see it. How I see it. Sometimes when we pray, and even the way that we see the world, we see it like this. And we look through something like this that, that limits our view. We can just see one thing like that television screen back there. You guys didn't even know that was back It's pretty cool. <laughs> so I, all I can see is this. Now the people over here, if you wave, if you fell asleep, 
I wouldn't even know. I do know. <laughs> but all I can see is this. And so we ask the prayer, God, give me this. This is what I want. This is the thing that I want. This is the thing that I'm going for. This is the thing that I'm striving for. Dear Lord Jesus, I ask you, do this, do this, do this. And then it doesn't happen, and all we see is the, the failure of getting that. But Jesus says, listen, I see all of this. I see more than you can do. I've got more going on here. And in spite of all of that, here's what I want you to focus on. Don't focus on your thing. Focus on me. You might say, well, I don't, I don't know if I trust you. Okay, but still focus on me. I don't think you might let me down. Okay, still focus on me. Isn't it amazing that she comes all huffed and puffed and ready to blow his house down, right? She's, she's upset. She's angry. You know, Jesus can handle your anger. Jesus can handle your, your loud words and your questions and your screaming. He can handle it. He's not going to look at you and say, oh, you messed up now. Two more minutes in the penalty box. No. You're welcoming. It's okay. I know you're upset. I know you're, I know you're mad. It's okay. It's okay. Come here. Come here. I in life. I am resurrection. I change death to life. He who believes and trusts me can move the worst thing possible into the best thing possible because I see the big picture. You just focus on me. That's what he does to Mary, to Martha. This is how he answers Mary. He says this. Can you put that up? Jesus says, I am spiritually and emotionally involved with you and your struggle. I am spiritually and emotionally involved with your struggle. Now, I'd love to see the differences between these two sisters. You've got Mary, you've got Martha that's going to hit it head on. Bring it on, Jesus. What you got for me? Come on, I'll go right at you. And where's Martha? Where's Mary? She's at home. Crying. Can't get out of bed. She's so emotionally overcome. Now Martha leaves Jesus. She she Jesus kind of blows her mind in the moment. She's like, listen, you got it. I got it from here. So she runs back. She loves her sister deeply, finds her sister, brings her out to talk to this guy. And I love it that she moves up so quickly. There's something inside her that wants her, wants to meet Jesus wants to have that interaction. That she gets up and runs out so much that the rest of the people there are thinking, wow, what changed? She's just crying here. She must be wanting to go cry at the tomb. So they get out there and ran with her. And they run away. You notice that Jesus doesn't move? Jesus stays where he's at and lets Mary come to him. And when she reaches there, what does she do? She falls on her knees. She weeps. She says this very thing, if only you had been here. Pretty much, where have you been? Why? Why did I have to do this? Why did you not show up? Why have you not been here for the person you love? Why? Let me tell you, that is 
the most painful question you can ask. When you go through the pain, when you go through the disillusionment, all you want to do is have an answer to the why. Let me tell you, this isn't, this isn't going to suffice for you, I know. I don't have any answers for the why. I know God has a plan. But for some of you that are asking that question, that's not going to do it for you. How about this? Jesus doesn't answer her with the why. He doesn't say, well, let me show you God's plan. Here's how it started in the Old Testament. And here's how God revealed himself to the Jews and worked his way. He didn't do anything like that. What does he do? He looks at her. He looks at the Jews that are crying. Says that he's emotionally moved in this moment. And then, what some say is the smallest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. You know it's not the smallest verse in the Bible. The joke would be too small, but that's either here or there. Jesus is emotionally involved. So a week before I left, we went to the Middle East, our pastor friend, uh, we, we received word that he was going to enter into some really severe persecution from the, uh, the area that he was in. I'll be very discreet because we're on Facebook. And he, uh, he called us and let us know. And while this was going on, while this one uh, event was happening, he calls me. Broken. It's in the middle of the night. It's 4.30 in the morning, my time. I'm sitting in, in my living room on the phone in my pajamas, weeping with my friend who's 2,000 miles away, crying with him. He's asking me why. He's asking me what's going to happen. He's angry. He's upset. I'm trying anything I can. I mean, I'm not, I'm not even daring to say, hey, but hey, pick it up, buddy. You got it. Go get him with God and go there. He's crying with him. It's actually quite a miracle. He was waiting for a phone call. And while we're talking on the phone, he said, I, I gotta go. The person I'm waiting for is calling me right now. That brought relief to him. But let me tell you. I was scheduled to leave a week later, and man, that week was a long week. But when I flew there last week, and I landed there, and we sat down at the table, and we shared shawarma and hummus and falafel together, and I was able to look him in the eyes, and I was able to cry with him. And he didn't feel alone. Something happened. <coughs> His spirit changed. His ideas changed, and it didn't seem so grim. Why? Because a friend of his was here just crying. Do you know that Jesus is with us? He's not physically with us, but he's emotionally and spiritually with us as we're struggling, weeping with us, caring for us. Let me tell you guys, as a church, this is a great opportunity for us to walk along with someone. If you see someone struggling, someone struggling with discouragement or disillusionment, get next to them. Don't say, I can fix your problems, because chances are you have more problems than they do. But you get next to them and you say, I will walk with you. I will be Jesus with skin on for you. And we'll cry together. And I'll help you point you to Jesus as you point me to Jesus. 
and we will go through this together. That's what the church can offer. Amen? Amen. Some of you need that. Some of you could be that. But that's what Jesus offers when we go through our disappointment and disillusionment. He tells us we are not here with you. The last thing that he says is very, very challenging and a little surprising for him. This is what he says. I'm moving upward and onward to display my devoted love for you. Now, as I was working out this phrasing of this particular phrase this week, I, I, I struggled with the word devoted. And I've had about 40 different other words that you could put in there. And I encourage you to just kind of rotate what word works for you. Amazing love? Relentless love? Ridiculous love? Life-changing love? Healing love? Forgiving love? Whatever works for you. But he is moving upward and onward. This purpose that he's working is to display his devoted love for you. Let's go back to the, the last phrase, the last verse of the section of scripture that we read in John chapter 11. This is what he says. He says, where have you laid him? Jesus says, come and see, Lord. They replied, Jesus what? And then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Now he's talking specifically about Lazarus. They know that Jesus is, is showing his love for them, but the love for Jesus didn't start there. It didn't start when he got emotionally involved. Let's go back to the very first thing. It's verse 5. This is what it says. Do you see this? You guys got to catch this. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. Jesus loved them. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was to morning. What? That's how you display the love? Is by being late? Is by not showing up? What is Jesus doing here? He has a greater plan. Let me tell you. About a month after 9-11 in 2001, my father, my best friend, my mentor, some of you know this story, he, he passed away and died. He was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer just six months before. I had six months to watch my dad die. And let me tell you, we did all the prayers. We did the circle prayer, we did the altar prayer, we did the pew prayer, we did the prayer with others, we did the prayer chain, we did the prayer, prayer, prayer. We did every prayer we could. We even had the confirmation that, yes, he will be healed. And we claimed that confirmation. And then my dad died. Friend, mentor, really the reason why I wanted to become a pastor What are you doing? Let me tell you, the questions that came to my mind were, where are you, God? What do you mean you love me? What do you mean I'm supposed to be called by you? I, I thought you chose me to be one of your one of your servants. And you're gonna do this to me? What do you mean? Where are you, God? And I had to hit that. The disillusionment and the discouragement, some of you know, very real. Hit that head on. Face that. Let me tell you, 
There was a purpose to that. God used that to make me the father, the husband, and the pastor I am today. There's no way I am for sure that I would be where I am today having not been able to go through that. Do you realize how powerful of a moment that is? Yeah, some of you know very real how powerful a moment that is. And yet, if you let God, if you walk with Him through that, He works His purpose in you. He expands you. He moves you upward and onward into something much more beautiful, much more powerful than you've ever had before. Much more purposeful. But it comes with facing the disillusionment and the discouragement. Meeting with Jesus and letting him walk you through in his amazing love. The band's going to come up. We're going to end this service with an opportunity for, for maybe you to experience this love. I see some of you are, are kind of holding back those tears because you think, well, I was not going to cry in church. What would the person next to me think? I get it. Okay. I want you to hold those feelings together. I want, you to hold, I, want you, I want you to enter into those in just a moment. We're going to sing a song about God's amazing, relentless love. Do you know you don't deserve it? There's nothing that you have done or will ever do to make you get to the place where you're like, yeah, okay, now I deserve his love. It comes freely to you. Why? Because that's the kind of love he has. That's the kind of person he is. It's forgiving, relentless, life-changing love that can handle your questions, that can handle your anger, that can handle everything you got for him. And just say, okay, okay, I'm here for you, and I love you. I'm here for you, and I love you. So we're going to sing about this love. And I encourage you to enter in. Some of you probably just need to rest in it for a moment. You want to do that at the altar, you want to take a pew, you want to pull a friend aside and say, hey, let's, let's talk this through, that's okay. You want to pull a pastor aside and be honored to pray with you. Let's just let God build this moment with his love for you. You're on his mind. He split heaven and earth for you. gave it all up for you. He knows what you're going through. He's been there. He's experienced the pain that you feel. And he may not give you all the answers to why. But he wants to know that he loves you. That he loves you. He loves you. Let's rest in that fact today. Father, come as you only you can. Let your spirit move and you communicate in ways that we can only uh, think or maybe not even ponder.